Hi, this is Steve Andres. I'm the pastor of New City Church, and this is our podcast. Every week at New City, we invite people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and learn how to make a difference. I want to thank you for joining us today, and I hope that this message inspires and challenges you to love God and serve your city more. If you want more info on New City Church or other resources, go to newcity.life today. But for now, enjoy this message. Now I'm going to turn to our text in Psalm 137, and we're going to read it to you today. Beside the rivers of Babylon, we sat and wept as we thought of Jerusalem. We put away our harps, hanging them on the branches of poplar trees, for our captors demanded a song from us. Our tormentors insisted on a joyful hymn. Sing us one of those songs of Jerusalem. But how can we sing the songs of the Lord while in a pagan land? Let's pray together and ask for God's blessing. Lord, thank you today for your word. Thank you, Lord, for the opportunity to gather together like this online. I pray, Lord, that as I have for these weeks, uh, past few weeks, that you would take this word from uh, not just, don't let it just reach our living rooms or don't let it just reach this device that we're, watch, that we're watching on. Lord, let this word reach our hearts. And Lord, I pray that it would bear good fruit in our lives as it takes root and as it bears fruit. We thank you for this and we pray that you would be honored in it. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. Now, when our text was written, the best and the brightest of Israel's population had been carried off into exile. Now, this was a common practice. When the Babylonians would conquer a people, they would do this. They would take the, 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 uh, the elite of the society and they would carry them off to Babylon and they would kind of, uh, uh, kind of acclimate them to the culture of Babylon. So they, these people who are writing this psalm are literally sitting by the river in Babylon, the river Euphrates, dreaming of the day when their world will go back to normal. They're thinking back to what life used to be like in Jerusalem. They're thinking about all that. Now, now we do that now, don't we? Because right now, things are pretty confusing. We are in a situation that is totally unlike anything we've ever been before, and it's tough to know what we should do. And on top of that, I think everybody is pretty confused about the right thing to do. So uh, actually, I think this video sums it up great. Yeah, I really don't understand why everybody isn't following the same rules right now. They're very clear. So let's take a minute and let's go over them again. First, you must not leave the house for any reason, unless of course you have a reason and then you may leave the house. All stores are closed except those that are open and all stores must close unless of course they need to stay open. This virus is deadly. But don't be afraid of it. It can only kill people who are vulnerable and also those who are not vulnerable. We should stay locked down until the virus stops infecting people. And it will only stop infecting people if enough of us get infected that we build immunity. So it is very important that we get infected and also do not get infected. You should not go to the doctor's office or the hospital unless you have to go there. Unless, of course, you are too sick to go there. This virus has no effect on children except for those children in which it affects. The virus remains active on different surfaces for two hours or four hours or six hours but in most cases it's days and not hours and it needs a damp environment or a cold environment that is warm and dry in the air unless the air is plastic schools are closed so you need to homeschool your children unless you can send them to school because you are not home if you are at home you can school your children using various portals and online classrooms unless you have poor internet more than one child only one computer or you are working from home baking cakes can be considered math science or art. If you are home educating, you can include household chores within their education curriculum. Masks are useless at protecting you against the virus, 
but you still need to wear one because it can save lives. And in some cases, it may even be mandatory, but also maybe not. You must not go to work, but you can get another job at which point you may go to work. Stay home. I don't know how many more celebrities we need to have tell you how important it is to go outside and take care of your mental health. There is no shortage of groceries in the supermarket. There are simply many things missing. You don't need to go buy a bunch of toilet paper, but you should buy some in case you need it. It's important to get fresh air, but don't go to parks, but do go walk in other places. Just don't sit down unless you are old or pregnant but if you do sit down, don't sit for too long, unless you are old and you are pregnant, in which case you need to sit down. But if you do sit down, don't eat, unless you've had a long walk, which you are allowed to do if you are old or pregnant, except for times in which you aren't. Don't visit old people, but you have a moral obligation to take care of old people and bring them food and medicine. And finally, no businesses will go down due to coronavirus, except those businesses that go down due to COVID-19. I hope this cleared up any questions about what we should and should not be doing during this time. Please educate your friends and family with this information so we can remove any and all confusion surrounding this time. Thank you. We think of the day when things might go back to normal, when the earth heals and the hot dogs can roam free again. Or a time when, when uh, after all of this is over, we can finally see the longitude and latitude lines again visible in the sky. There are already people who are commemorating this time in some fairly permanent ways, and I would say some fairly unfortunate ways as well. But for real, it will be a great day when we can get together again for church. It's okay to think about that for a second. When I can see friends, when I can see you again, I have missed you, New City Church, and I have a particular image in my mind of what it's going to be like when we finally get together again for church. And it looks just like this. It might be a little different from that, but the feeling is going to be the same. Now, we can have fun with this, but it really is a challenging time for all of us. In our text, we get a vivid picture of the sadness and the loss that these people are experiencing. They've hung their harps on tree branches. All they can do now is sit down and weep, and they're being mocked and taunted besides by those people who are holding them captive. This season that we are in has been and is going to be a season of great loss for people. There is personal loss and financial loss. There are people who have lost jobs, some businesses that have folded, students who've lost this school year, the rest of this school year, weddings that have been postponed, funerals that haven't been able to happen. People haven't even been able to gather to mourn, and that in itself is a loss. There's really no other way to look at this time than to recognize it as a time of sadness. Around the world, we have been forced to choose the lesser of two evils. And that is, we've chosen to work together to flatten the curve, to blunt the impact of this virus, but it has been costly and it has produced a heaviness in so many places that, that we should probably acknowledge. There is a grief that we are all just now, I think, beginning to reckon with, and I want to talk about that today. Now, I spent the better part of my life working with teenagers and 
young adults, and it was a curious thing to me to see how some young people were able to rise against, rise up in spite of what seemed like insurmountable odds, whether it was a single parent or bad parents or physical challenges, social challenges, uh, whatever their challenges were, it was so interesting to see how some people would rise above those challenges to be healthy and well-adjusted, and other people who seemed to have the deck stacked in their favor would be faltering and, 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 and failing on into adulthood. And after a lot of reflection, I feel like there was one skill after a lot of years that I identified in that group who overcame their challenges and moved on to maturity. I think that group found a way to accept loss as a part of their life story. They were able to acknowledge the sadness of apparent failure in their life, or of a broken family, or of unmet desires for acceptance. They were able to grieve the loss of all of these things. They faced them head on, and they were able to reckon with them. Now, it's really painful to do that. That's why we avoid it. But to put that experience in the loss column and to account for it fully by saying, I acknowledge this as a loss in my life, that was the thing that set that group apart. We could call that advanced placement adulthood. <laughs> not everybody is able to do this very well, and we're not well-equipped to do it. Because if we just keep on living, it seems like the losses, they just keep piling up. So then the question is, what do we do? Well, some people, I think, they pretend that these losses aren't happening at all. We dress everything up, we sanitize the past, we hide our sicknesses, we keep things positive, and we basically turn up to avoid what one author called the rumble of panic beneath everything. And I think that is a brilliant description of what we feel so much, a rumble of panic beneath so many things in our lives. Now, I don't like sad movies. Jesse could tell you, I am never on board with this. I've, I've never watched The Notebook. I don't want to see the movie up. As a matter of fact, I'm careful about all Disney movies. Ever since Bambi started with the on-screen death of the mother, I am suspect of all Disney movies. So here's the thing. The only reason I even watched Titanic is because I already knew at the end that the boat would sink. But there is a note that I should make on that. There was room on the door. Rose was a savage, and, and, and there was room on the door for sure. But here's the thing. That aside, I can't understand why anyone would want to watch a movie with a sad ending. When I do that, and the movie ends, I think, why did I just waste my time on a story that ends just like real life? Now, I'm all about avoiding sadness in entertainment, but you cannot avoid sadness in real life. The fact that this very sad psalm is in God's praise book says to me, though, that seasons of grief and sadness can still be opportunities for worship. The psalms give us permission to be sad before God. Because in facing our loss and our sadness, we posture ourselves to receive from God. You need to know that today. And so I have a couple of points that are important for you if you're taking notes today just to write down and to reflect on later. Number one, do not run from sadness. You cannot run from grief. It will always catch you. You have to face it because it's designed to do a work in you. It reminds you, here's the thing, this is what grief does. It reminds you of your finitude. That's a 
big word that just of your finiteness and your humanness. Grief screams at us that we are not in control. And, and I, I'm saying this today to remind you, you cannot run from grief because it will always catch up to you. People do this all the time. They make the mistake of going through a season of loss and they try and run from it by coping in different ways, but you never can run from it. Instead of running from the darkness, we have to face it and go through it until we see the dawn. That sounds kind of cliche or cute, but it's absolutely true. Until we have reckoned with our limits, we cannot rely on the God who is limitless. By God's grace, once we have stopped running from sadness, we can face it head on. And herein lies the strange paradox of being a Christian. Suffering and hope live together. Good Friday and Easter are just days apart. We experience a Good Friday sadness, but then we also have an Easter hope, a resurrection hope. We have sorrow in one hand, and we hold hope in the other. And as Christians, we are, we've got one in each hand, and I don't think we're meant to let go of either one of those things. There is a deep sadness in our world, a rumble of panic underneath everything. We are not supposed to run from it, but we are to bear it up with God's help. We have a promise that this sorrow will not consume us and that nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Neither death nor life nor anything in all of God's creation can separate us from the love of God that is in Jesus. So do not run from sadness. Number two, sadness creates space for God. It actually creates a place for God to work in my life. That sounds crazy. But as long as I am thinking that I have it all together, I can't see my need for God. As long as I am busy trying to be my own boss and run my own world, I can't see that I'm not really the boss around here. It's almost kind of like I'm living in delusion. There, there, there was an article that I read that said 13% of American women consider themselves pretty. But the same article said that 38% of American men think themselves handsome. So it sounds to me like there are some very confident, very unattractive guys walking around. It could be me. Now, here's the thing. We talked about looking in the mirror last week, but nothing gets us to stop and take inventory of ourselves and our lives like sadness does. That loss of control, that loss of certainty, that loss of health or finances, it rattles us, but it also creates space for God to move and to speak to us and to work in our hearts. Friedrich Nietzsche's blistering critique of the modern world was that it didn't have the guts to admit that if we cut God out of our story, if we cut God out of the picture, then life, tragedy, beauty, right, wrong, justice, they all have no meaning at all. Sadness is our reminder that those things are real, that they have meaning and that they matter, but that something in our world is broken. And if it's broken, it needs to be fixed. In Luke 24, um, we get the story of two of Jesus' disciples. Jesus had been crucified just days earlier, and they don't know yet that he has risen. And so they're on their way from Jerusalem to a, a little village called Emmaus. And the Bible says that Jesus begins to walk alongside with them. And they stop 
The Bible says that, that he says, he says, why are you so sad? And they, they say, don't you, haven't you heard? It says that they stop, literally, in, they stop sad. Their sadness, and this is, I think, true for many of us, sadness has a way of paralyzing us. And in, their, in that moment, stopping on the road and talking to this person that they think is a stranger, they say, haven't you heard? Has your, has your head been in the sand? And then they begin to tell him about this Jesus whom they had hoped in and, and how their hopes had been crushed when he, when he was crucified. He walks with them, the Bible says, all the way to Emmaus. And during that walk, then, he responds, and he begins to show them from the Scriptures how the Messiah, how the, how the promised one of God would have to suffer all of this injustice, would have to die, and would rise again. And then when Jesus sits down with them to eat, and he breaks bread as he had before with his disciples, all of a the sudden, they recognize him. Now, a couple of observations about this story. First one is this. Because of their sadness, God's presence, God's presence is close to them, but they can't recognize it. Jesus is walking with them, but they don't even recognize him. Grief and sadness have a way of clouding our vision and keeping us from seeing God even when he is close to us. I want you to know today, you might feel like God is a million miles from you, but the Bible says that he is near to the brokenhearted. The Bible says that he is close to us in our sadness. So even if you can't see it, you need to know he is near you today. But secondly... These disciples are paralyzed by sadness because they're looking at a world without resurrection. As far as they know, death is the end. Now, if you don't know about resurrection, then sadness can be so complete, loss can be so paralyzing, so utterly final that it can really stop you in your tracks. Now, the danger during the season of sadness for all of us is that we might make a decision to stop hoping. And then, once we've stopped hoping, we settle for smaller things, and our faith is diminished, and our prayers become tame, and our hearts even get cynical. But there is another way, instead of that way of of, of small faith and cynical hearts. The other way is this, that this sadness would actually unseat the other gods in our hearts that we have trusted in and would instead produce in us a hope that would be fixed not on our own force of will, but on God's faithful love. Let me say something to you as I remind you again, this last point, with great certainty, this sadness is not final. It is real but it isn't final. We've said it like this in the past. If it isn't fixed, God isn't finished. And that is the good news that we can announce when we reflect on resurrection. Jesus was raised from the dead. He wasn't revived or resuscitated. He was raised to life eternal, to be the first among many others, the Bible says. That was the promise that Jesus gave to us. The guy who predicted his own suffering, death, and resurrection also made this promise. He said, I am going to prepare a place for you. The hope that we have during this time and any season of sadness or grief or loss is that this is not final. In the end, the Bible says, life is going to swallow up death. 
One of my favorite authors, Frederick Beekner, he says this, what's lost is nothing to what's found. And all the death that ever was set next to life would scarcely fill a cup. At the end of The Lord of the Rings, in the third book, The Return of the King, Sam Gamgee is, is, is reunited with Gandalf, who he thought was dead up until this point. And he has this amazing line in the book where he says this, will everything sad one day come untrue? And I love that line. Will everything sad one day come untrue? And I think that it points us to the choice that we have right now in our sadness. You see, in the psalm, the exiles from Israel were grieving. They were mourning. They were saddened. But we know another story from that same period of time. We know it. We know the man by name. His name was Ezekiel. And he was one of the exiles who were carried off to Babylon from Israel. And at the beginning of the book that bears his name, it says this, In my 30th year, in the fourth month, on the fifth day, while I was among the exiles by the Kabar River, which is the river Euphrates in Babylon, it says the heavens were opened and I saw visions of God. This is the same river in Psalm 137, where the exiles are sitting there, harps hung on the poplar trees, stand, you know, sitting on the ground and weeping. But there is a completely different picture here with Ezekiel. Ezekiel, I'm sure, was sad like everyone else, but somehow his experience was different because instead of paralysis, instead of hopelessness, Ezekiel gets a clear vision of who God is and a word from God for his own generation. That is what I am praying for you during this time. That's what I'm praying for me during this time and what I believe God wants to do in us, his people. Yes, there is great loss and there is no diminishing that, but we need to face that and account for it because as we make space for God, we are gonna find that we might come out of this season with a fiery sense of God's presence and a prophetic word for our generation to say, it was right in the middle of that pandemic. It was right in the middle of that tragedy that God showed himself to me in a way that changed everything. And so I'm praying, Lord, let it be so. Thank you, Lord, that this sadness isn't final. That's because all of our grief, let me just tell you, all of our grief, all of our sorrow has already been paid for by the sinless Son of God. Isaiah 53 calls Jesus a man of sorrows. It says that he was a man acquainted with grief. And if you want to know any clear sign that Jesus can understand the grief and the sadness that you feel, let me point you to the cross. In John 19, verse 30, Jesus is hanging on the cross. His friends have betrayed him. There's no one there to support him. He's literally by himself. He's cried out to God, and it is, it, with his last words, he says this. He says, it is finished. And the word in the Greek there is tetelestai. It's an accounting term, and it means finished, paid in full. This is accounted for. You see, we can account for this grief in the lost column because whatever you and I have experienced right now has already been paid for in full by Jesus. And it will be one day paid back in full to us. 
Paul says that our light and momentary afflictions are working for us an eternal weight of glory that outweighs them all. And in Revelation, Jesus says, Behold, I am making all things new. Just like Sam Gamgee said, all that is sad will one day become untrue because of Jesus. And this, my friends, is amazing news. It's amazing good news. Today, I think you have an opportunity to receive this good news. Now, we can do everything that's possible to deliver it to your door, to bring it to you from where we are to where you are. God has done everything that is possible to get it right to your door, but you today will have to sign for it in order to receive it. That's the way that we receive this good news. The Bible says that we have to admit that we have been part of the problem, that our sin and our selfishness has caused pain and grief to others and to God, that we believe that Jesus paid for that sin, paid in full, so that we can be made new, and then we simply confess that. That's how we receive the gift that is at your door today. Now, I'm going to do this. If, if you would take a second today and with me, just reflect for a second on what we have talked about. And if you want to sign for this gift, if you want to receive this gift today, I'm going to ask you to make a decision right now. It starts in your heart, but in a moment when we pray, I'm going to ask you to decide in your heart and to pray with your mouth just to believe for God to make you new. Now, contrary to popular belief, we don't go to heaven. We don't experience eternal life and resurrection because we're good. We go to heaven because we're forgiven. And that's what this prayer is. And so if you need to pray this prayer today, I want you to repeat after me and say it with me. Just say it like this. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe you are the Son of God. I believe that on the cross you took my sin, my shame, and my guilt, and you died for it. You faced hell for me, so I wouldn't have to. You rose from the dead to give me a place in heaven, a purpose on earth, and a relationship with the Father. Today, Lord Jesus, I turn from my sin to be born again. God is my Father. Jesus is my Savior. The Holy Spirit is my helper. And heaven is my home. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. And amen. You can tell somebody today, very simply, if you prayed that prayer, if you, if you prayed that prayer and turned your heart to God like that today, if you received that gift, the Bible says that you are new. And I want you to do this. We want to rejoice with you. If you prayed that prayer today, I want you just to put it. If you're on YouTube, put it in the chat section. Just say, I prayed the prayer. If you're on Facebook, put it in the comment section. I prayed the prayer. If you're with somebody, tell somebody. Just elbow them and say, I prayed the prayer. Text us at the number that you see on the screen right now or DM us in social media. It really doesn't matter how you tell us. But this moment, we want to celebrate with you and to help you to grow in your faith. Our goal every week is to invite people to know God, find freedom, discover purpose, and make a difference. And this step that you've taken today to know God means that you are now qualified to continue to grow together with us. And so we want you to reach out to us. Let us know how we can help you get connected at New City Church and continue to grow.